the name of God, who is water for the thirsty. Amen. So this is the first Sunday of what at St. John's we call the Merry, Merry Month of May. The month of May traditionally in Christendom has been a time when we remember and focus on Mary, the mother of God, and on the ministry of women and girls, on the feminine voice in scripture. And so I'd like to begin today with the very first words of the Hebrew scriptures, the very first image that we see in our Bible. In the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, the earth was formless and void, and darkness hovered over the deep, and the Spirit brooded over the waters. Spirit, in this context, is a feminine word, and the word to brood is like a woman brooding over her child. On the first day after this, God creates light and darkness. On the second, he bounds the water to create the sky and then gathers the water together so that there's earth and land and water separately. We hear that today and we think, oh, that's lovely and poetic. But in its original context, it was revolutionary. In the ancient Near East, there were a number of different creation myths, Babylonian, Sumerian, Assyrian. And in most of these creation myths, water represents femininity and chaos, and the earth is masculine order. We still see these stereotypes a little bit in our culture today. And in these ancient myths, the world begins with the defeat of the god of the water, the god of the sea, by the masculine god of fertility and order. Order triumphs over chaos, and the world begins. Stick with me for a moment. I promise this is, this is going somewhere. The Hebrew creation story that we have in Genesis is extraordinary, maybe even unique in the ancient world, because it begins not between, with war between order and chaos, but rather with cooperation and creativity. The world is created not as the result of war, but out of God's desire to create for the sheer joy of creating and out of love for what God will create. In other Near Eastern creation myths, the world begins with the defeat of the feminine by the masculine, with the defeat of the sea god by the god of war. But in the Hebrew tradition that we inherit as Christians, the world begins with God's affirmation that both earth and sea, feminine and masculine, have their place. And the world begins when God establishes partnership between them, between men and women and between the masculine and the feminine as they're expressed by people of all genders. And so from the very beginning, in a way that was revolutionary, our tradition has lifted up the power and the value of the feminine. From the very beginning, our faith rejected the idea of the feminine as threatening or subordinate. So it's interesting that in our gospel text today, we return to a story in which Jesus encounters water and talks about water. And John, the way we learn about Jesus's identity is by listening in 
on a series of one-on-one encounters that Jesus has. An encounter with Nicodemus, with the woman caught in adultery, the man born blind. And our text today is one of these encounters in which we learn about Jesus's identity. It's noon, and we presume it's sandy and hot. We know Jesus has been walking, and he's thirsty. So when he arrives at a well, he asks a woman there if she can get him a drink. In most ancient cultures, women are in charge of getting water. It's that association that goes back to those very early creation myths. And in that culture at the time, women just did what men asked them to do, even men that they didn't know. That was the job. That was the way the world went. But maybe it was something about her. Maybe it was something about Jesus. But she doesn't immediately do what he wants. She pushes back a little bit. She says, why are you telling me what to do? Why are you even talking to me? You're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan. You're not even supposed to drink out of a vessel that I've touched. There was a long ancient grudge between the two peoples. She stands up to him a little bit. And you get the sense, I think, throughout the text that Jesus enjoys her company, that he enjoys her quickness, her wit, her courage in engaging him. And he says, ah, if you knew who was asking you for a drink, you wouldn't be talking back. If you knew who I was, you'd be asking me for water, and not water from some old stagnant well. You'd be asking for living water. Now, the Gospel of John is full of double meanings. In Greek, living water and running water are the same. So she thinks that he's talking about running water, which would have been safer and fresher and colder than the water in the well that might have been stagnant. Basically, Jesus is saying, you're giving me a hard time about giving me some well water, but I could give you fresh water, running water. She comes back at him quickly. Absolutely, running water would be great, but the reason we've had this well here for 2,000 years is that there's no running water nearby. And I seem to be, she says, the only one here with a bucket. No, Jesus says, I'm talking about another kind of water entirely, not running water. I'm talking about living water. If you drink out of this well, you'll be thirsty again in a few hours. But those who drink of the water I will give them will never be thirsty again. He says, the water that I will give will become in them a spring of water gushing up to eternal life. I'll give you water that will sustain you forever. You'll never be thirsty again, and what's more, you'll become a source of that water too, a spring that gushes and overflows to eternal life, spilling over for anyone else who's thirsty. And she says, sir, give me that water. A woman at her time in Samaria, in Jerusalem, probably anywhere in the ancient world, was supposed to just be quiet and hand over the water to a man who asked for it. This woman's smart. She's strong. She knows who she is, and she engages Jesus as an equal. And unlike most of the people that Jesus talks to in the book of John, she knows truth when she sees it. Jesus delights in her. 
and he quenches the deep thirst in her heart, not only on that day, but forever. And after this exchange with Jesus, she becomes, as Jesus promises, a gushing spring, a source of living water for others. She tells the whole town about Jesus, and many of them come to faith. And in the Eastern Church, she is known as Saint Fotini, equal to the apostles. The word equal is part of her title. I love this story. Jesus is the source of living water, the only one who can quench that spiritual thirst within us. And I love how despite his disciples' disapproval, Jesus obviously loves this exchange with this woman. He delights in her strength, her insistence on her rights, her wit. And the fact that this all takes place in the presence of water at the well, a traditional meeting place for women that men generally avoided, it all brings us back to that original creation story. In Genesis, we learn that those traits that our culture names as feminine are not a threat, that women are not to be ignored or subjugated. Genesis teaches us that creativity begins in partnership, in exchange, in appreciation, and mutuality. The whole story of Jesus' ministry is a living out of that Genesis truth. Jesus sought out women, lifted them up as leaders, saw them as partners in the gospel, in the building of the kingdom of God. It's a deep sin of the church that we have at times forgotten Jesus' example. We've fallen short of the vision that he offered. But that idea present from the first words of the Bible, that creation and creativity in life begin in partnership and mutuality and respect, the example that Jesus sets of women as valued partners with him in bringing about the kingdom of God. This is part of the good news that we as Christians have to offer the world. One of the things that the world is thirsty for, I believe, is women who live with unapologetic strength. And the world also is thirsty for men who know how to make space for women to be who God is calling them to be. Men who treat women as partners in work and in life and in God's work in the world. The world is thirsty for equality, and if we can live in that way, we will be more able to be a source of living water for others. Scripture begins with the feminine spirit of God brooding over the water. And not coincidentally, it ends with an image of living water that recalls the woman at the well. The final image of Scripture is of the river of life a stream of running water, of living water, the water of justice and equality and the voice of God booming out over it, saying, let all who are thirsty come. Amen.